This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound. I'm your host Ian Turner and today my guest is Joe Sampson. First, if you enjoy what you hear today, on whatever platform you consume your podcasterage, I'd love for you to subscribe so you can enjoy all of the guests we have on the show week in, week out. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and hit one of the links on the front page. Okay, Joe Sampson, you may know him from T54 and Salad Boys, but now he's going out on his own as himself with a band behind him. It's less complicated than it sounds, and for this master of the recorded medium, it's simply another revolution in finding himself and being at peace with what young Joe Sampson wanted older Joe Sampson to become. This is the Gardener Sound interview with Joe Sampson on Plains FM 96.9. Joe, can you tell me your first memories of music? Well, uh, the Blues Brothers movie, when I was seven or something, or maybe six, um, was awesome for the cars and, of course, the music. So that was the first thing that I saw that made me excited for that. Then I was given a, a cassette, uh, Daddy Cool, the Daddy Cool Collection. Cool, cool um, <laughs> and that was from the same era, so that's from late 70s, early 80s, so that's what I thought music was, the kind of bluesy rock. But the first thing that really changed things for me and, and set me on the path was Smells Like Teen Spirit. Okay. Um, music video in Nirvana, and I was nine. It came on TV, and I just couldn't believe it. It just, it, it totally changed what music meant. Instantly I knew what I, what I wanted to do. And since, yeah, since then, it sounds really corny saying all this, but really it, it was just such a such an amazing thing to see in here. As a 16-year-old, I was pretty blown away by the track. But right. as someone under 10, what was what was school like the next day? Jumping jumping all over the place? Or was <laughs> it, I want to get a, I want to get a guitar or some drums um, in my hand? Yeah, it, it, just, it just seemed that music all of a sudden became way more modern. Even though at that point that would have been about... 1997, 1998, so Nirvana was over by that point. Um, but it, music, to me, um, up to that point was stuff like the Rolling Stones and Daddy Cool and the Blues Brothers. So all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is something that I can relate to that's for my age. And But at the same time, it, it kind of had this, um, it was hard edge, but it didn't have this macho, crap going on bands like creed and um okay and lincoln park and and limp biscuit and that sort of stuff was starting to come out which i hated mm. it just seemed really awful whereas nirvana it kind of it satisfied that that heavy rock thing um but it's it seemed to be it seemed to have like a sensitive kind of thing going on as well it just seemed really genuine you know you've talked a lot about Daddy Cool and Blues Brothers and I guess Rolling Stones I think was mentioned as well. Yep. Very rhythm and blues focused. Yeah. Was that from Dad's side, Mum's side? What was the music yeah, like in the yeah, in the, the house? Yeah. Um, well, um, the the good ones were the, like the Rolling Stones and you know hearing songs like Get Off My Cloud and Satisfaction mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm. And that because I started playing guitar at that time, so they were good things to learn. 
Was it by your own volition that you got into a guitar through uh, Nirvana, at least? It wasn't mum and dad saying, right, we've got to get you off to some lessons. No, it was actually. Yeah, so there was a couple of guitars at home because I think mum tried to learn to play. Ah. Didn't take to it for whatever reason. So there were a couple of guitars. Yeah. For whatever reason, I took an interest in them Yeah. Um, and, and went for it. I, yeah, I, I don't really remember going through that process or anything. I just, all of a sudden, I was, I was learning to play guitar. When did the singing come along? I started my first, my own band when I was about 11, um, which was a three-piece band. Okay. What was that called? <laughs> uh, Zinc, actually. Uh, and funnily enough, a, fr- a friend of mine just came over from the UK who was in that band, and we were reminiscing, and we went through a shoebox full of old stuff. So it's all very fresh in my mind right now, which yeah. is really funny. So, um, yeah, three-piece band, and um, I guess it was decided that I was going to be the singer because we idolised Nirvana, and we were three-piece. I was the guitar player and Blonde and the songwriter, so I had to be the singer. Yeah. So I started doing that. But um, And you're still with us today. Yeah, and the music hasn't changed that much, honestly. Like, you listen to those early recordings, because we actually paid the money and went and recorded in a studio. We sort of scraped together a bit of pocket money. Where was that? It was down on uh, behind the Southern Blues Bar that used to be on Madras Street. What was it called? It was called Matawaka. Okay, Matawaka. Yeah. Um, and okay. we, um, from memory, it was something like $150 and we recorded one song. So okay. we just all kind of pulled our money together, yep. which we had paper rounds and things like yeah. that, you know, 30 bucks. So it's still 11, 11 12 years of age. Uh, that, yeah, we were, we were 12. So okay. that was in January 2000. Yep. So wow. we were all, all okay. 12. And yep. We'd never played any of these songs to our parents or anything like that. So they're like, uh, like you, you know, who that, came up with that idea? Uh, the drummer, Was it you? Okay. no, the the drummer, Caleb. I, I see. I've, I'm not really good with that kind of um, self promotion or okay. or pushing things along type yep. thing, never have been. So it was him. It's like, oh, we should go and record. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. We're ready to re- go to the studio, you know. <laughs> not yeah. knowing what you don't know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you still have a recording of Zinc, of those yep. tracks? Okay. We do, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and, and we li- listened to them as recently as a few weeks ago. Just Had we done this a couple of weeks ago, I would have said I haven't heard them in years, but we've hung on to all that stuff, so I got everything right from the beginning, everything I did. In terms of composition, is there anything that you've gone back to, your 12-year-old or 11, 12-year-old self, and gone, oh, yeah, I used to do stuff like that. Is there any sort of like freshness or anything that's brought to your your yep. songwriting thought processes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm always looking back. Um, I, I, I've always understood the value of, of um, taking what you once had and trying to apply it to what you have now because I, it's pretty obvious that most bands, their best stuff is when they're younger and they're fresher. So clearly there's a thing about that mentality that produces good work and I think it's um, stupid to assume that what you're doing currently is the best thing you'll ever do. That's often wrong. So I'm always looking back and checking myself, basically. Have I gone off on the wrong path? Have I, have I, am I barking up the, the wrong tree right now? Mm. Because if I get really into something and really concentrated on that, I might lose sight of what I'm actually doing and okay. might think I'm doing something great and then lose context of it. So, yeah, definitely. I, I, I often go back, to, not usually that early, but at least back to my early 20s and, and, and say, okay, what did I have then? And am I missing that now? Sometimes I am. So post Zinc, uh, where to from there, band wise? So, my next band after that was um, a band called Hype, and that was the same format, three piece band. The band before them was uh, totally Nirvana. Yep. And um, and then later on, Hype was more uh, the garage rock thing was okay. was big at the time. White Stripes, 
okay. Franz Ferdinand yep. the Vines and also Smashing Pumpkins so that was my other next favourite band after Nirvana so, yeah. so when you listen to the hype stuff now very Smashing Pumpkins okay um, yep more guitar solos more interesting riffs um, longer songs um, were you playing live at any point at this absolutely. stage? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we did a lot of gigs on the all ages scene. Okay. And um, I like the way you say that the all ages. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty rough. <laughs> Honestly, the, the they really were the best gigs that I've done. It, we all, every time I speak to someone from those days, and including my old bandmates, we all agree that it's never been as exciting as it was back then. Why is that? A better audience reception, I think. Um, people will have more time to devote to things like music and bands and their favorite bands and things and um i was actually reading some some letters from my old girlfriend at the teenage girlfriend she she was in france for six months and sending letters and things like that Mm. every second sentence was about a band that she liked and and things like that i just you just don't have those conversations when you when you get older you know as often and so because that amount of time is afforded to those kinds of things there's more passion and things like that in, mm. in the audience and yeah you just that that feeling of of being raised up on a pedestal is was just gigantic when you're that age if you're succeeding in music and um it's i guess it's like a child actor you you can never reach those heights again and things like that interesting so even on a very obviously much smaller scale for me i definitely i, I can see how that feels yeah yeah uh, before we head into Joe's 20s and uh, we lose the Nirvana uh, buzz, it is time for a track from an influence. And we yep. have talked about Nirvana. What are we going to hear? <laughs> okay, well, I want to play a Nirvana song from the first album. Okay. Um, so, not because I think that's the best or anything like that. I just happen to like that one the most at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess we'll probably go for About a Girl.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Joe Sampson on Plains FM 96.9. Time to look at gigs. Have you spent the majority of your life in Christchurch? Yeah, I have. Yeah, 95% of my life in Christchurch. Okay, well, I want to focus on, because you've been other places, I'm sure. What's the best gig you've seen in Christchurch in the entirety of your life? Well, I can tell you the best gig I've seen. Okay, go for that. It was in Wellington, though. All right, no, that's fine. I saw the White Stripes when I was fifteen. Okay, and that was at the height of their popularity. Yep, and and the and the perfect age for me to see them, you know. Um, so when I flew up with Dad, mm. Dad was the only person willing to go with me, which was great. Yeah, and were your mates not into the White Stripes or was uh, no, it no, cash were, situation? Yeah, cash then. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so which was great, and I don't think Dad had really listened to that much, but he liked them. And um, White Stripes are one of those bands that appealed to different generations and yep. things, which was yep. cool. Um, yeah. Uh, what was your big takeaway from the show? Anything that happened on stage that you thought, wow, I want to do that? It was just heroic. It was The, the, the thing was is because up to that point, all my favorite bands were dead or broken up. So Kurt Cobain, Smashing Pumpkins, um, most of them were dead or broken up. And, yep. and it was nice to finally have a band that I loved as mm-hmm. much that was still current and alive. Okay. So just seeing this hero on stage yep. um, was just, a, I think, an amazing thing. And again, I didn't really think about that at the time, but... Um, when I think about it now, why did it mean so much to me? And I, I guess that's the reason. How would you describe um, Jack White's stage presence? Well, it, it seemed really uncalculated, um, and it seemed it seemed very natural, very really unpretentious. The thing that was really exciting to me about the White Stripes was the sort of music I listened to up up until that point was was really um, perfect and yeah. and really um, structured and things like that and. That was the kind of the whole thing with the White Stripes is they would get sloppy takes um, and the vocals would be out of tune and the, even the guitars would be out of tune and things like that. And that was really cool to to know that you could do that. Not because I felt like I didn't have enough skill to get good takes or play in tune or anything like that, but it was exciting to me that, that you could do that mm. and that not only would people still like it, but some people wouldn't even seem to notice, which was cool because mm. my vocals weren't strong in those days and yeah. and arguably perhaps aren't now either and uh, and i was really conscious of that and it yeah. was cool to know that you could be a successful musician and have a, not a great vocal yeah not not that I, that I don't feel that way about jack white i like his vocal but yeah you know not perfect anyway do you still feel the same at 33 yeah i mean now it's 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 far more normalized to me um because i got into the punk thing later on mm. and that is a huge part of that. That thing that draws people into punk music is is what I found in the White Stripes and bands like that. So so yeah. So now after fifteen years of of being exposed to that kind of music, it's very normal now. Of course, yeah. you can make music that's rough around the edges, you know. Yeah. And then you you go back and you look at stuff like Led Zeppelin and and you realise that that's also actually rough around the edges. Or even even the Beatles is rough around the edges as well. Mm-hmm. And and turns out that that's actually what people like. And that's why when you see YouTube comments on live versions or demo versions of songs, often you'll see comments like, I prefer this version, or it's great to hear this live. This is the only version I watch, you know? Yeah. So that's, yeah. What was the plan way back when, when one was at high school thinking, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with the future? Was it music, 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 music? Oh, yeah. I want to be a rock star. Okay. Yeah, that was it. It's reasonable. That was I. I knew I was going to be a rock star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> still waiting. 
But <laughs> so that's the question. It's like where is where is that line? What defines what what uh, invisible sort of bar it have changed. you set for yourself? Well, I set very high expectations of myself when I was when I was a kid, and my school reports say that as well. They right from a young age, but um, I kind of had this thing in my head that I never wanted to betray those former expectations because I felt like I would be betraying my former self in some kind of way. If I, if I were to lower my standards, it would be an insult to my former self, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And and if I was insulting my former self, then how could I be confident in, in my expectations now, knowing that five years from now, I would be insulting who I am today. Okay. You know, I've, I've since abandoned that. I don't think that way anymore, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> so Sounds I en- very onerous and punishing. <laughs> it is, yeah. So I can enjoy life now. Um, as as you get older, you know, you you um, you you figure out what you enjoy in life, and and you figure out what brings you the most pleasure, and 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 also you you settle as well for what yeah. you have and, and what you're able to. Yeah. Of course, I was never going to be on the level of nirvana or anything like that because i was born in the wrong time with half the amount of skill um in christchurch um and also i i'm not one of those go-getter types you know so there's very plenty of reasons that wouldn't work out so you get realistic as you get older you know yeah yeah who do you surround yourself with musically whether on stage or or off lots of different types of people um because i work a lot and well by myself um generally the people around me don't work in the same way as i am so it's not like a three or four people that are um taking the same approach it's there's me and then there's a couple of other people and we work in different ways Mm. and 99 percent of the time they they give me that space to do that Mm -hmm. um which is great, which I sometimes wonder why. But so are you pretty much directing traffic in that respect? Yeah. And they're sort yeah. of following your lead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to have a, a problem admitting that because I didn't want to come across as arrogant or self-centered. Being but that's more just... More at peace with that? Yeah, it's just the truth, you know. And and it's it's not because I think other people are incapable. It's just because that's the way I like to work, you know. And, and for whatever reason, people have afforded me that freedom either because they they believe that I know what I'm doing or they think I'm just completely unreasonable and they don't bother trying to correct or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that people that I'm playing with now, I've played with many times over the years on and off and is maybe I have a good relationship with yeah. my bandmates. <laughs> what's the, um, in your mind, what's the best gig, most enjoyable gig you've played? Generally speaking, I enjoy playing every time. Like I said before, that when when you're playing in a t- as, as a teenager and and people really love it, once real life kicks in a few years down the line, it's never going to be as good as that. Mm. And I'm not saying that I feel like I've true peaked or anything like that, yep. I, and and that I and that I that I wish for those days again or anything. I'm not saying that at all. But generally, if someone would ask me that question, I would my mind would be back on stage, age sixteen or seventeen yep. or something yep. like that. You know when. 
Those but, first rushes, those first experiences. Yeah. Those, this is amazing. And I think um, going, actually go, when the Cellar Boys went to the US, that that was pretty. That was the same, almost the same thing. Okay. Same sort of feeling, you know, where, yeah. where you get treated um, with a lot, a lot of respect and people kissing your ass and things. Mm-hmm. So that that was yeah Pro- probably the cell in recent years the Cellar Boys US tour yeah, but no no one show just yeah. the just the, experience. the just the whole experience yeah. yeah I mean we yeah we did some really cool things we played at Jack White's studio um, you That's know ven- cool. venue and that was that was great yeah yeah it is time for some music cool and I say what's an all time fave at least um, we're talking about the Beach Boys yeah at least what um what track are we going to hear so we'll hear um, you still believe in me. Which is the second song from Pet Sounds? Mm-hmm. I just yeah, I just love it. I was thinking on the drive over here. I bet you he's going to ask me why I chose the song, and I don't really know. I just um, there's just something about the melody, the the opening lyrics that I could sing by myself anytime. And in the fifteen or sixteen years that I've known this album, I'll always put that song on, and I'll never get sick of it. I was going to ask: Is Pet Sounds the perfect album? No, and this song's not even the perfect song either. Um, there are parts about it that um, there's this part where the vocals come in really loud toward the end of the song, and then it dips down again, and then it does it again even louder. Yeah. And um, I've always felt the need to rush to the volume control in that part. Yeah. Unless I'm on my own. Yeah. Um, then it's okay. But if there's other people around, I've always wanted to rush. I somehow feel responsible for this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. W- yeah, I always feel like that with music. If there's something that's not exactly how I do, I always feel somehow responsible. If there's other people around, then I'm subjecting them to some sort of unpleasant experience. Yeah. So even the song is, is not perfect, and, and no, Pet Sounds isn't perfect either. I wouldn't arrogantly say I would do it differently. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I would, but Joe Samson does pet sounds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Joe Samson corrects pet sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Joe Sampson on Plains FM 96.9. At the end of this section, we're going to hear a song of yours. Now, um, you are Joe Sampson, and your current project is Joe Sampson, but in addition to Joe Sampson, there is a band, but yep. you're still just Joe Sampson. That is definitely weird, me being a band and just calling it my name. Yeah, that's, that's a weird thing. Is it? Yeah. Is it, though? Don't you? Wouldn't you think so? In a way, it's taken as red. If you just went out with a band photo and it's Joe Sampson, that's just you, you know? I probably don't need to think about it as, no, as much as I do. I think we're probably overthinking it. Probably, hey, yeah. What, what track are we going to hear? It's, it's, called, it's called Aimless. Okay. Funnily enough, like Appropriate. The, the conversation we were <laughs> heading down. Uh, yeah, it's called Aimless. It's a demo, but it's the sound is there anyway. So the, the new band is um, lots of 12-string guitar. Lots okay. Of, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Tell me about your guitar. It used to be uh, very distorted and fuzzy, like Flying Nun bands, yep. like the 3Ds, yep. and Boulder Space, mm-hmm. bands like those. Yep. So that was T54, yep. um, shoegazy thing. And yep. then Cellar Boys it cleaned up, Okay. and it, it was uh, lighter, more, yep. more chords, yep. um, more drones and things like that, yep. more, more delicate. So I've gone even further and narrow. There's no distortion at all. It's completely okay. clean. Yep. And uh, lots of twelve string. So I love the twelve string guitar, and um, it seems to work well with my voice. And people like it every time Cellar Boys played a gig anywhere. Yeah. I'd always get someone coming up asking me about twelve string. Yeah. So I figured from a marketing point of view, it's an electric twelve string though. It is an electric okay. twelve string. Yeah. yeah. So I had. A twi- Where did you get it? I bought it on Trade Me. I had a, a tw- I found a twelve string Stratocaster, which mm-hmm. is very rare. Yes, eight hundred dollars. Nice. It was in two thousand thirteen. Okay. Um, I always wanted a twelve string just because REM, which is another one of my big bands, mm-hmm. and yeah, that that was REM really. That's the only uh, the only reason. And I, I wasn't. I like them now, but I wasn't interested in the birds. We're or not the talking the uh, Jimmy Page uh, no, live version of Stairway to Heaven or even Slash and his no. double neck. No, offerings. no, none of that did anything for me. I, yeah. In fact, I didn't get into Led Zeppelin until I was about twenty-two. But okay. um, no, no, it was just just REM. That's all. Was yeah, the okay. only twelve-string I was interested in was REM. Yep. So anyway, I bought one of those and um, on, on one, I guess, and um, started using it in the band, and it became a bit a, a thing of the band sound and image, yep. I suppose, the twelve-string. Yep. So um, and nowadays, um, I decided to take the idea and run with it. Really, so I sort of made an attempt to listen to more twelve-string guitar music so Tom Petty and the yep. Birds and yep. things like that um, a few other 60s things How does a 12 string change uh, the way you play chords or change the construction of the song at least um, Not hugely so the chords are still the same as you'd play on a 6 string you're just pressing 2 strings down at a time instead mm-hmm. of 1 so the strings are doubled up together um, so 6 pairs Are you leaving Are you leaving stuff open more just to let it ring? No, um, I'm playing it exactly the same way as I would um, on on a six string. Uh Uh, There is a difference in my approach to it in that um, both me and the other guitar player band, we use a compressor pedal. And a compressor is something that most people don't use, but when they do, they really love them. Mm. And if if we're playing clean um, with no distortion, then using a compressor pedal aids the process. Otherwise, it, te- it can be quite clunky sounding. Okay. So the compressor effect makes, it provides that cushion that distortion gives you when, yeah. So okay. so that has changed, but in terms of the playing and everything like that, no, it's still the same riffs and everything. Yeah, it's yeah. just 12 strings. So, cool. Yeah. 
Uh, what about this track we're going to hear? Yep. So this track has got two 12-string guitars on it. <laughs> 24 strings. <laughs> Wow. Both uh, me on the left-hand channel and then yeah. me on the right-hand channel okay. and then me on the bass guitar as well. So you're just doubling? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, the left, left, left-hand channel is the, is the um, the rhythm guitar. Yep. And then the the right-hand channel is the, the lead guitar. Okay. Line. Yep. Yep. So it's called Aimless. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lyrics are, funnily enough, aimless, about mm-hmm. nothing at all. Yep. Just a bunch of words that sounded okay together. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, where did you record? This is recorded on a four-track. It's um, the practice space. Oh, okay. So just just me and the drummer, and then I added the extra bits later. Yeah. Um, so this was recorded last year, just when it was just me and Matt playing. Matt yeah. being the drummer, Matt Scobie. Now we're a four-piece, but this demo's from last year. Okay. Yeah. What's been your most indulgent recording session or process? Both of the Cellar Boys albums. So that was the same process, me and a drummer. Yeah. And then I was left to do everything else yeah which is something I enjoyed yeah it was a lot of hard work but mainly because I set the standards very high okay Um, and you're playing to click on those no no just just um, insisting on a a solid drum take okay so the first album um, we just did takes until we got it right some songs were one take others eight over various sessions on the second album I ended up um, editing tracks if there was a mistake, we'd just chop it out. Yep. Whereas in the first album, I insisted, no, no edits, got to be yeah. completely. Wow. So, so second second album onwards, I just thought, no, no, time's more important, you know. Yep. So yeah, so both of those, are, I guess, are indulgent in the sense that they, um, I layered them up, lots and lots of guitars, not doing different things, doing the same thing to build up an image. Mm. So usually doubled up with a six-string acoustic, 12-string mm-hmm. acoustic. Yep. Six string electric, twelve string electric, okay. all playing the same thing. Yep. Spread across the image. Yep. To provide one kind of big sound. Yep. Um, and then the vocals quietly tucked in there as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. Uh, this is aimless, uh, and this is a demo uh, from yes. Joe Sampson.
this is the Garden of Sound interview with Joe Sampson on Plains FM 96.9. You've got Go Live Festival coming up on the 24th of July, which I am very much looking forward to. Um, and you're playing on the RDU stage with a, with a bunch of other bands. Um, what does the gigging look like for the next six months to a year? What's the plan? What do you want to do? Well, that's the only, um, that's the only gig we've booked. Yep. So Great. Okay. <laughs> Get in now. <laughs> At this stage. So um, the band wasn't going to be playing until yep. we got things up to a standard that I was happy with, which yeah. we are, by the way. We're certainly approaching that. Yeah. Um, but this was... You get a peak at the right time. I guess so. <laughs> uh, this was a good opportunity, so we went for it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, because as you go through bands and and, and the, the, the years in your life, people, in theory, you should build up popularity, but thus the expectations are higher to begin with. So um, the need to be more polished each time you present a new project is higher, I think. What happened to the previous bands? Was there any sort of defining factor in their their demise, at least? No, they or all they all fizzle out. Uh, that's okay. just what in any band nowadays. They, yeah. It's the same thing. You you're on the ascent, everything's yep. going well, yep. and then you make the mistake of doing something like signing a record deal, or 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 taking it to the next level, and that next level, um, at least it's better now, but five years ago and the 10 years before then was completely up in the air and that's because people stopped buying physical music. Yeah. So there was no tried and true system in place. There was a lot of guesswork. Everything took a lot longer. There's no money around so there's no managers. Uh-huh. Nothing. No one can afford managers and things like that. Yep. Everyone's doing it themselves. No one's sure where to, where to go. Everyone's too coy to push themselves. You know, there's plenty of factors why a band will flounder and every band that I've been in and every friend's band that I know and any band you'll ask it's the same story they they reach they send and then they reach a point and then they flounder okay and that's what happens so what piece of advice could you pass on to that young budding band out there something that you see commonality wise that could help them maintain that ascent just keep pushing and, and don't um, don't try and be friends with the the record label okay. or the touring manager or the people that are booking your shit or whatever. You know, it's like, I don't know if it's just New Zealand, but people here, they they get an opportunity and they feel like they have to be incredibly appreciative of it, which they have to to some degree because otherwise that's just entitled and rude. Yeah. But the problem is, as musicians and, and people in bands, they often feel like they have to somehow... Um, Suck up? Yeah, suck up. Yeah, suck up to get success. And that creates a, as they call it, power imbalance. And you end up in a position where the other party is, is um, the ball's in their court all the time and nothing gets done because you've only got one of them, but they've got heaps of you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's basically it. Is don't, you know, if you're given an opportunity like signing a record deal, it's an even playing ground. They're working for you as much as you're working for them. You are entitled to receive the service that you're told you're going to receive. Mm. It always falls short. So, you know, so know, know, know what you're entitled to yep. and, and go for it. Yep. And and don't muck around. Just keep pushing, you know. And don't worry if you're going to upset them. I think there's this idea that if you if you upset the record label that they that they're going to drop you or something like that or you you know it's it doesn't that doesn't happen you've got to 
if, you, if the rights are there, you've got to go for it. Otherwise, the only person that's going to suffer is you. On that very sobering note, <laughs> we're going to go and pay some bills. Uh, then we're going to come back uh, with Joe and play mini quiz. Great. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Joe Sampson on Plains FM 96.9. There's only one way to settle this. There is another way. Visit miniquiz.com and see how your general knowledge stacks up against friends, family and Darren down the road. It's free and a great way to get you ready for the big leagues. Visit miniquiz.com now. That's M-I-N-I-Q-W-I-Z.com and show everyone who the quizzed in your neighbourhood really is. Miniquiz.com. Start small and do them all. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Joe Sampson on Plains FM 96.9 and we're going to do mini quiz, uh, which is such a good time and you're going to do really well because you're going to get 10 questions thrown at you yep. and you're going to come up with a correct answer every time. But if you don't know the answer, um, you're going to go pass. Okay. And you're going to do that quite quickly okay. uh, because there are 10 questions and you've only got one minute to answer them. You're trying to beat a score of six. Okay. Uh, Caleb Isaacs and Greg Haver currently sitting on six. Okay. So perhaps we could do seven today. Oh, God. Here we go. God only knows. <laughs> Wrong song. Okay, here we go. Your time starts now. What was the name of the best-selling album released by the Chili's in 1999? Californication. In which decade was Dave Dobbin born? 1950s. What is a hurdy-gurdy? It's an instrument featured in Donovan song. Which comedian and actor did musician Katy Perry marry in 2010? Russell Brand. In which year did New Zealand band Split Ends release Six Months in a Leaky Boat? 1982. What band founded in 1959 is most associated with Smokey Robinson? Buzz. Which band released My Sharona in 1979? Nick. Who sang about the good ship Lollipop? Pass. John Mac McVeigh gave his name to which band formed in 1967? Fleetwood Mac. Which two founding members of The Who were present for their 2008 tour? Roger Daltrey, Pete Townshend. Right, so there you go. Your time is up. Let's have a look at those, uh, those answers. <sighs> Stressful. <laughs> What was the name of the best-selling album released by the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1999? Yes, correct. Californication. Uh, Dave Dobbin, born in 1957. Well done. Hurdy-gurdy. It is a musical instrument. You gave more, but I was very excited because you were doing so well. <laughs> Russell Brand. Yes, indeed, did marry Katy Perry. Uh, 1982. Well done. Six months in a leaky boat. Um, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles. Oh, okay. There we go. There's one for right. the uh, pub quiz trivia. Cool. Thank you. Um, which band released a best-selling debut hit entitled My Sharona in 1979? Of course, The Knack. Uh, who sang about the good ship lollipop? That was Shirley Temple. Never never heard of that. Really? No. You've never heard the good ship lollipop? No, no. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, wonders never cease. Um, John and Christine... Uh, yes, Fleetwood Mac, John Mac McVeigh, well done. Uh, two founding members of The Who, uh, who were there then uh, and still are, Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. Amazing. And uh, Thank congratulations, you. you've gone to the top of the leaderboard oh, with, right. with eight out yes. of ten. Cool. That is going to take some beating. The joys of life, small joys oh, of life. I know, it's good. <laughs> that was, it was a good thing. Those three coffees really helped. <laughs> Unfulfilled desires, musically. 
what lays out there for this wiser, older, more musically sound, more knowing his value, Joe? I just I want to catch up with what I've got. Um, I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of song ideas and and things like that, um, and I want to I want to get them finished really. Um, and what stopped me in the past is uh, being a perfectionist, basically. Um, and uh, and now I realise that uh, you know the amount of time that or the amount of energy that you spend on being a perfectionist doesn't equal the how much better something is. Um, and being a perfectionist can ruin something that's good as well. Yep. So, um, yeah, um, basically there's a lot of songs and I want to get them out there and, and, and get them done. Um, that's really all I want is I want music out there available attributed to me. Um, I don't feel the need to shout it from the rooftops, go on tour or, or anything like that. I just want good recordings to prove the work that I've done. You know, it's... Uh, being an atheist, I don't have a witness for my hard work unless it's completed and people yeah. can see it. Um, we've got time for one more track. Great. Um, you're working with somebody else? Yeah, so this song is Local Tourist, which is a project of a girl called Erin Umstead. So she's from the US. She lived here a couple of years ago and I met her here mm. and she's now gone back. But we formed a band or rather we put a band together to perform her music, um, which was a three piece. Mm. And it's the, the primary thing is her vocals, guitar and songs. And then me and a guy called Rory who plays drums for a lot of people in town. Yeah. Most notably Ben Woods. Mm-hmm. He uh, did the drums. So I recorded the album and ended up adding a little bit of extra guitar, essentially just doubling her guitar parts because she had already gone back to the US. Yeah. I wasn't able to get her to do. So I just did them. At her blessing, <laughs> and I just uh, added some strings and some horns. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, so that was cool. So, uh, and she's just an amazing singer. Yeah, and it's just I've never been able to work on music where the vocals are just great already. You don't have to yep. bury them with any effect or any of that crap. You just yep. you just comp them so that you get the best take, and then you just just do an open mix. You know, the vocals yep. right up loud. You know, and. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that's um, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It's, it's an al- it's album length. I think it's eight songs, but it's album length. You know, yeah. it's forty minutes, um, and we're just looking for a label at the moment. But uh, here, yeah, here's one of the songs. Yeah.
That was Joe Sampson playing on a track called Hemispheres from Local Tourist. Okay, track of the week. It's been out a couple of months, but it's brilliant from the pen of Emily C. Browning. She'll also be playing Go Live Festival very soon. This is called I Wasn't Into You Anyway. There's a dripping tap in the back of my head. There's an echoing cave and a TV set. Rerunning the time you told me we should be friends, yeah. Things fell from the tip of my tongue, and I think you misread all the interest in me. Fell out of your head. There's a mood that can drop like a bucket of rocks now. Oh my, oh my, ego and I, we like to feel connection and then fall from the high at the first sign of rejection.
Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks to Joe Sampson as well for his candor and jumping to the top of the mini quiz table. If you want to find out more about what Joe's up to, head to gardenofsound.nz and click on his picture on the front page. From there, you can also get tickets to see Joe play at the Go Live Festival on 24th of July. I'm Ian Turner. I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound same time next week. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Inohora. <laughs>